As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, December 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Of course, the hot stove is off, but today we're going to start pressing fast forward on the lockout and begin the process of completing the offseason for several teams. And today the spotlight's going to be on the teams in the AL West, where the Texas Rangers have been the early winners of the offseason, and just just in terms of overall additions to this point, we of course like to use a game show style scoring on this podcast for uh, how well teams are doing in free agency, and if the uh, if the point system is money, well, the Rangers are in the lead, having committed more than five hundred million dollars to Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and John Gray. So we'll try to figure out what is next for Texas once the league is. Uh, no longer on hold, along with the rest of the AL West teams. Eno, thanks for jumping in today. Ah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> I see you a lot, so. <laughs> yes, we host another show called Rates and Barrels, so if you listen to the Athletic Baseball Show and you haven't checked out Rates and Barrels before, you might enjoy that if you like this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Uh, starting in Texas, Seeger, Semyon, Gray, Cole Calhoun, plenty of impact there, no doubt about that. I was curious to see where they were at, just in terms of overall war projections. Fangraphs has a nice handy chart. You can look position by position. You can look at the overall count and just get a sense for, are they a mid-pack team? Are they a bottom third team? Are they a playoff team, kind of based on where they're at right now? Unfortunately, even with the moves they've made so far, they're still kind of stuck in that bottom third. It doesn't mean they're hopeless. There are playoff caliber teams that are down there, and of course, there are still more moves to be made. And I think there's one thing that isn't fully captured by the war calculations. And that actually is the minor leaguers that could have come up and have some kind of impact for this team. Because you know, Seeger and Simeon fill massive needs up the middle for Texas. They didn't have big league ready star level guys knocking on the door who were going to lock those spots down for the indefinite future. So there's a huge boost from those two guys. There's still a clear need on the pitching front, both in the starting rotation and in the bullpen, I think the question is, with pitching flying off the board prior to the lockout, 
where are they really going to turn to get more high quality innings than what they currently have on this roster? Yeah, and you know, in the meantime, the the time that they've spent being bad, um, I think what they did find were those kind of depth pieces that can come up and help a team when you know Marcus Semyon might get hurt. He's been an Iron Man, but you know Corey Seager has been hurt, so it's been good that they've uncovered guys like Yanni Hernandez um, and uh, who can play all over. Even pushing a guy like Nick Solak back to maybe a platoon in the outfield or 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 a depth piece that's that's going to be good. Uh, and I think they've done that on the pitching side. I mean, I don't, I'm not in love with any of these guys, but guys like Colby Allard and Taylor Hearn, I think, are major league back end type arms. And what that means for me is that they should go for the high-end upside. They should go for stuff, basically. And I think basically the best stuff is still out there. Uh, The best two, I think, um, are very interesting to them and are are slightly different but have the same problems. Those are uh, Clayton Kershaw and Carlos Rodon. they both, you know, have a metric that tries to sum up movement and velocity and, and give you a, a stuff metric. They're both basically the last two uh, kind of elite stuff uh, pitchers left on the market. And they both have the same issue, right? The the injuries. And, you know, Rodon grabbed, grabbed a shoulder, but, um, you know, says he's he's good. And we have a little bit more of a, of a, a post-injury track record for him to say, you know, this is someone to bet on. Uh, Kershaw... You kind of waiting for him to throw. I think. I mean, I think that's what everyone's waiting for. He got one of those PRP injections that uh, may or may not work that well. And I think there was a, when it when he first uh, had the injury, there was a lot of um, feeling that he would end up having surgery. So I don't think that anyone's going to sign him until they see him throw. Uh, which means I think Carlos Rodon is a good fit for this. You know, well, when he's healthy, he's in there. It's not like a Tyler Anderson situation where you you need the innings so badly. You know, Tyler Anderson is probably on par with like a Colby Allard or Taylor Hearn, you know, in the end. Yeah, Hearn and and Glenn Otto. There's a bunch of guys. AJ Alexi. They have a, a pretty long list of guys that will compete for probably the final two spots in the rotation. Maybe just the final spot, depending on the other additions that are made. But I kept coming back to Kershaw and Rodon as the two that made the most sense. Both isn't out of the question, if you think about it. Like They've spent this much so far, and I think the, the scope of the deal, the length of the deal that Kershaw gets and that Rodon gets is going to be a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that both could end up in the same place. Maybe not likely, but it's all about bridging the gap to the young pitching because they've got you know, Jack Leiter and Cole Wynn and Owen White all closing in on contributing at the big league level. So they do have young pitching coming. A lot about this team reminds me of where the Tigers were in 2021 from a young pitching perspective, but they're much better off with the core position players. They've already made those big, splashy additions in free agency, and they do have some position player prospects, uh, most notably Josh Young, who looks like he's going to be a part of the everyday lineup sooner rather than later. He could be one of the first call-ups of the 2022 season, and he's actually projected pretty favorably. I think he's projected to be at least a two-war player based on the early projections over at Fangraph. So they're set at a lot of infield positions. I like some of the depth guys you mentioned in Hernandez and Andy Ibanez. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa still there as a defensive wizard who can play at least both spots on the left side of the infield. We know he could catch in a pinch. They have a good defensive young catcher in Jonah Heim. So you can start to talk yourself into the Rangers, at least as a team that 
can push for 500 this year as they're built, and they could push for more depending on those other additions. As far as the the Seager and Semyon long-term outlooks, to me, Corey Seager has the profile of a hitter that will age very well over the life of the deal. I don't care that eventually he moves to third base and maybe that moves young to left field or first base. and You, you figure that out when the time comes. Mm-hmm. It's just the health question, right? The hip surgery that he had a couple of off-seasons ago, that's a big injury to have on the ledger, but I think we're going to be talking about Corey Seager as a quality player pretty far into that contract, if not throughout the entire thing. Yeah, and for those that point to that injury history and think, you know, hey, this is a this guy can't do it. He's he's injury prone. I think that we put that tag injury prone on players too early. And if you just look at this from a numbers perspective, uh, injury is very hard to project, even with. Uh, previous injury. Rob Arthur has a piece about projecting. It's called a moonshot uh, projecting injury. He has an equation for projecting hitter injury. And um, it doesn't like even when you put like a Stanton type in there, it'll give you 30 days missed. You know what I mean? It, it, it mm-hmm. It's a heavy regression to the mean. It does not uh, project large missed days for players because that's just not uh, the what has happened in the past uh, when you try to look at injuries. So I would uh, I, I don't necessarily assume that Seager will uh, go for 600 uh, or 700 plate appearances next year, but I don't also assume that just because Marcus Simeon is doing it forever that he will. I think that both of you know maybe I'd project uh, Seager for 600 plate appearances and maybe I'd project uh, Simeon for 650. You know I think that's about what you would do if you were projecting them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I think with Marcus Simeon, too, he's on the wrong side of 30. I think injury risk actually creeps up for a guy even when he's been durable. Yeah, age was in there. In there. Yeah, and that's something that we've noticed on our podcast in the past is like you'll, you'll see players where they do the 650 every year and then they don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're healthy until you're not is really, is really the lesson here. And you think about the different ways players get hurt. I mean... Position players get hit by a pitch, they break a hand, they foul a ball off their ankle and, and miss several weeks as a result of those things. Like There's really nothing about that. Like A, a batter's stance and where they set up near the plate could make them more susceptible to getting hit. You know, diving mm-hmm. in could make them a little more susceptible to getting hit. But a lot of the things that cause players to get hurt are random, fluky sorts of things. And then obviously the extreme examples, you think of guys like Byron Buxton who's had soft tissue stuff but he's also had the bad luck stuff yeah. too like like that exists there there are two oh, there's only been two buckets for me of, of injury types there's the chronic kind of stuff hey you know you always have muscle strain in your back you've got a hamstring strain that's always bugging you or like the mm-hmm. josh donaldson calf injury kind of fits there but right. you have like the accident prone guys and some of that is style of play and some of that is absolutely pure randomness and i think mm-hmm. You know, you have to account for that. I think we're, we're really good at, at writing off the guys who've had the major injuries when, frankly, like, I, I would agree with that model. I think 130 games for Seager is a very reasonable sort of projection if that's what it was going to spit out for him. And right. if he gets to 150, he gets to 150. That's fantastic. The other thing with the Rangers that I think is, is pretty interesting, it's not just Josh, Josh Young knocking on the door. Uh, Dustin Harris might actually be in the big leagues at some point, too. So you could add him to the first base DH equation. You know, Maybe there's a, a way to shuffle people around. I, I know you've mentioned Nate Lowe as a oh, holdover that you really Dustin like. Dustin Harris was the guy people were excited about at the, um, at the Arizona Fall League, right? Yeah, that whole group of prospects they had down there. I think Justin Foscue was there. Owen White was one of the pitchers that was there. I mean, that was a group that drew but rave Harris reviews. Was hitting the ball really hard, and he, 
he was presented to me as someone who really used the lockout well, like used the missed season and like got better. And when he came back, everyone was like, wow, he's really, he's really spanking the ball. Um, I think Durant might uh, end up moving to center because right now, I think the the organizational weakness is center, even though they have a lot going on there. They're going to have Leotis Tavares out there. They're going to, I think, Adolis Garcia, you know, he projects as a below average bat, uh, which might uh, confuse some people because, you know, he was like fourth in the rookie of the year voting, but he just, he just really fell off. He does not have a good plate approach. And he, I, to me, he profiles as a defense first center fielder, almost better uh, than a corner fielder where you really depend on the bat. So I, right now I would group Leotis Tavares. Um, I would group everybody in center and just see what works out. Right. Because now mm-hmm. you've got about a year or two where you need to figure out center and it's going to be Tavares. It's going to be Garcia. It could be Duran. It could be Solak. You know, mm-hmm. it could be Foscu. I don't. I don't. I would assume actually probably not Foscu because of uh, if he's at second. I don't think his arm is probably that good. But my point is, try everyone there uh, until you until you find someone that works. Yeah, I think Adelis Garcia is almost like a. He kind of reminds me of Keon Broxton with more power. Mm-hmm. Like Broxton was a good defensive center fielder. Well, he popped, I think one twenty twenty season. You know, yeah. but. It, a 30 homer season from Garcia last year, I think has set expectations at a level that he probably can't sustain without significant improvements to his plate discipline. But there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that this is who he's been in the upper levels of the minors. He's been, he's been old where he's been too. So yeah, it's hard to see a lot more growth there. Tavares kind of seems like he's in a bit of a, a now or never situation Mm -hmm. to really claim that center field job. He had a good year at triple a, last year it wasn't a great year 98 wrc plus so just a tick below a league average hitter only 22 years old last year 17 homers 13 steals k rate was down from where it was in the big leagues during the shortened 2020 season 24.9 percent absolutely tolerable and he walked more than ever at least for any of his full season stops so there were some things to be excited about there and i would say much like adelis garcia with Leody Tavares, you at least know you have a good defensive center fielder. And if you feel like you've got good, at least average offensive options everywhere else except for center field and catcher, and the two guys that play those spots are above average defenders, that can work. That can mm. be a good enough lineup, and that can be a path for him to actually puts, stay as a regular in, in, in this playing time mix. It puts, the, it puts a little bit more pressure on finding some corner outfielders. I like Cole Calhoun as a reclamation project. Uh, but if you put, if I were to put the rosy colored glasses on uh, for this team, what I'm going to say is great middle infield locked in for a long time. Uh, in Young and Nate Lowe, I I have some love for Nate Lowe. He's had uh, he's shown through his max exit below that he has the raw power. I think he needs to tap into a little better. Um, he's shown that he has the discipline. He has a good reach rate. So there's some there's some stuff to to, to work with there. And first base is traditionally a place where you would just put someone that. Uh, you know that that succeeds with the bat and doesn't succeed with the gloves. So Dustin Harris might end up there. Uh, there's other players in their in their system that might end up there. And then you've got uh, I think in Huff is it Sam Huff? Mm-hmm. Sam Huff uh, profiles as a pretty good uh, catcher uh, prospect. And Jonah Heim is is someone that pitchers always tell me they love throwing to. So I think if you've got the infield, the rosy colored glasses say you've got an infield, right? And what you're looking for, and you've got some elite pitching prospects in Jack Leiter, at least, coming up. And so what you're looking for are the things that you can find the easiest, as long as you can find center, right? If you can find center, then all you're looking for are corner outfielders and relievers. 
And that's what you're looking for in the next two, three years to get better. And honestly, those are the things that you'd rather be looking for. Corner outfielders and relievers are the things to be trying to catch uh, on the market. And I guess one of the names that I, I think about every time we're talking about teams needing a center fielder is Kevin Kiermeyer. We know the Rays would probably love to move him because they've got so much depth in that organization. He was a league average hitter in terms of WRC plus in 2021, defensively still very good in center field. And I think this is finally that this is the final guaranteed year of his deal. There's a club option for 2023. So thinking about the Rays and Rangers is a couple teams that have hooked up on trades in the past. Thinking about the Rays added incentive to want to move Kiermaier. That could also be a fit too. It might not be something in free agency, but it might be some kind of holdover with Kiermaier to then buy themselves more time to figure to out is Tavares ready? Are any of the other young guys going to stick yeah. in center field? I could see that being part of their plan too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if they have much in terms of resources for this year, it's probably going to be spent in starting pitching. Um, the reliever core, it doesn't look amazing, but they found uh, some good relievers uh, on the back end. And then you could be waiting on health for Jonathan Hernandez and Jose Leclerc, who both been uh, really good in the past when they've been healthy. So um, you know, it is, it is, you just sort of wonder with that kind of a signing, how much are they going to be all chips in on this year? Or are they just going to, they're going to be like, okay, a couple more small signings this year, and then we'll see what we got next year and we'll, and, and add some more next year. So, um, that's the, that's kind of what I'm waiting for, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up with, uh, with Rodon or, you know, one of those two arms, those two big arms. Yeah, maybe some bullpen help in free agency, too. Still some interesting names out there. I mean, guys like Michael Givens, uh, Colin McHugh still out there. Good stuff number. I know you mm-hmm. mentioned that model earlier. He's popped a few times. They have a guy in Joe Barlow who I think is probably, unless the people listening to the pod are, are fantasy players or Rangers fans, they're probably not that familiar with him. I know your model actually really likes Barlow. I always also wonder with a, a team on the rise like this, if they're going to go for an established closer right now, if that even matters to them as an organization, or if they're comfortable letting Barlow just be the guy this year because expectations might be more future forward. And if he comes through and he looks great in the role, then they're set. If he doesn't, then they can go get that more established option between 2022 and 2023. Yeah. As much as I, I like some of the signings, like for example, the uh, angels who we'll get to, uh, Signed the two top relievers by stuff, and and there were some there were some relievers out there. Um, that list is getting short quick, uh, and like you said, uh, Colin McHugh, you don't you know as much as I love Colin McHugh, I don't think you sign him to be your closer. So they might they I don't think they're unless they're going to go big on Kenley Jansen too. Um, I don't think their uh, their big spend is is left in relief, and that's that's what I'm talking about a little bit in terms of uh, keeping one foot in and one foot out in terms of putting all the chips in for next year. Uh, all the chips in for next year would be Rodon and Jansen and trading for Kiermaier and signing Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I I think that would be kind of uh, one that would that be you know what's great about that I love it it's amazing it would be like a, a one year like sort of remake of a team I think it also puts so much pressure on that front office for it to be good right away you know because <laughs> yeah. they just spent so much money if they like end up next year see if they do this. 
this and they do a little bit more and they end up next year at 84 wins. They can say, no, we still got a little more to do. You know, like that was just, that was our first salvo. But if they did everything and they ended up with 84 wins, I think ownership might be like, well, um, uh, uh, how much did we spend on this? <laughs> yeah, we, we spent over 500 million and we're not a playoff team yet. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, last Rangers question for you. Keith and I kicked this around a few weeks ago when we knew John Gray was a free agent. We didn't know where he was going to pitch, but he did end up in a more pitcher-friendly environment. Most parks are more pitcher-friendly than <laughs> probably all of them just based on how pitches actually move in Colorado. What do you think the Rangers are getting? Because one thing I've gone back to a few times is the success they've had with kind of mid-level free agent starting pitchers. Two examples from the last few off seasons, Lance Lynn, and prior to that, Mike Miner. I think even Kyle Gibson could be considered a success in some ways here too. Gray to me is very similar to all three of those guys in terms of where I'd say like the ceiling and the floor probably are. Is there reason to believe, do you, like, do you see things in, in your metrics that point to John Gray still having a ceiling even remotely close to when he was drafted? I mean, in, in 2013, he was the third overall pick of the Rockies. And for years, people were expecting John Gray to be the Rockies first true ace. And I think given the circumstances, he pitched pretty well he might be the most successful pitcher in Rockies history but what does this mean for him getting out of Colorado and getting this fresh start in Texas now 30 years old I think he could pop and have a season that gets close to a one but I think he's more like a three that can that can pitch as a two going forward you know I think and I think that describes most of the guys you've talked about right Lance Lynn has had seasons where he could be a number one so I think maybe he he's a little, the closest to Lance Lynn where you'd rather have him as your two or three, you know, uh, but he's had seasons where he's absolutely been in the conversation for the Cy Young. Um, and I, I think I could see that out of out of Gray. The main thing that I see is he could, I don't know that the strategy was amazing uh, in Colorado. Uh, John Gray threw a lot of his fastballs sort of middle-middle, like didn't really explore the top of the zone as much as maybe he could have, maybe because they were nervous in Colorado. Uh, maybe it's a command thing, I don't know. Um, the other thing is, uh, they could have thrown sliders more. So I, would expect him to throw sliders over a third of the time, maybe, a, maybe 40% of the time. And then the last thing is his curveball away from Coors, which, you know, it does damage to your, it actually changes the way your pitches move. I think his curveball away from home can be at least an average pitch. So I would expect him to kind of be, uh, in that kind of 40, 40, 20 range where, 40% fastballs, more high ones, 40% sliders, uh, in, a lot of them in the zone, and then 20% curveballs, which flashes as a better pitch. Yeah, that's a, a more exciting pitcher than we've seen to this point in his career. So definitely a guy that we could look back at and say, hey, a four-year, $56 million contract ended up being a, a really good bargain relative to what a lot of other pitchers were getting on multi-year deals this offseason. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's stay in Texas. Let's go check out the Astros where Justin Verlander's deal is not finalized. So he's in limbo over the course of the lockout. The reasons for that deal not being completed are still a little bit unclear. But if we pencil him into this roster, we're not going to write it in ink. Things look pretty good overall on the surface. There's still a top five projected team based on current war, including Verlander. And that's having a glaring hole at shortstop. All right, not having Carlos Correa there leaves them in dire need of a shortstop. Now, is there a realistic chance that Correa stays in Houston? Of course there is. But if he leaves, are we looking at this team and saying, yeah, the internal options are actually going to take over. It's going to be Jeremy Pena at short for Houston on opening day. Or could it be someone like Trevor Story going there and ending up in a really good lineup and having a chance to maybe on a short-term deal earn himself more money in a future offseason? Yeah, it's funny. Like when I just use my eyes and I don't look at the numbers and I just scan this team uh, and kind of, you know, look around, I'm like, I think this team needs another bat, you know? Um, I'm kind of looking at Michael Brantley getting older. Uh, Alex Bregman, you kind of a little bit of a question mark about, you know, what, what he, what level he's going to play at. Altuve is only getting older himself. Um, and though Kyle Tucker, I think is super exciting. And Jordan Alvarez is one of my favorite hitters in the game. Um, that gives you a three and a four with a, with a couple aging guys to put around them. And I just, I wonder if this is the kind of team that really could benefit from a free agent bat right now, uh, to kind of, uh, lengthen the lineup. And, you know, the way I see it, if you go into the season next year with Chaz McCormick in center, Jeremy Pena at short, and Martin Maldonado and catcher, you will have three holes in the lineup. And as much as the projections still love the Astros and put them in the top five, like, you know, this is a team that wants to be a perennial contender, um, you know, that uh, could have gone all the way, you know. So they they, they don't want to have three holes in the lineup. So I, I think that they will uh, be in there for, for Story as a Correa replacement. And I think if Correa doesn't get the 350 mil, uh, he might end up back in, in Houston. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see him stick around because that'd probably put them right up near the top of the list. The Dodgers, by the way, are atop the current war projections board. Not a surprise. Uh, of the five teams in the top five, uh, four were playoff teams last year. The only one that wasn't the Mets. Obviously, they've done a lot this offseason. We'll talk about that on a future episode. I think the other thing that worries me with the Astros, I'm with you, they're one bat short, which totally makes sense. Maybe one and a half, depending on how you feel about those those depth options that they have. Are they, from a health perspective in the rotation, are they set up well enough with the crew that they've assembled? I mean, Luis Garcia was a breakout guy for them. In 2021, I think we, we've talked a lot about him on rates and barrels. But if you go and, and look at Fromber and Luis Garcia, and then you have Verlander coming off Tommy John, McCullers having an end-of-season injury, you got Jose Urquidy, 
Maybe Joe, Jake Odorizzi is the kind of guy that eats a ton of innings in the regular season, but then you just get far, far away from him in the postseason. And then you get Christian Javier, who was really effective in a relief role. Is that plus the prospects they have enough for them to be a playoff caliber rotation again? Yeah, it's an interesting situation, though, because if you... So I, I like Javier, but um, if the die has been cast... You know, if he starts the season as a reliever, I, I I don't know that he starts again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's there's a there's a kind of a point of no return, and he's not there yet. If he starts the season as a starter, then all is well, and he could end up a starter still. But if he starts the season as a reliever, I think it's gonna be hard to like push him to like 85 innings again. You know, and 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 keep pushing that. Uh, you know, that's something that Jeff Samarja told me, who had been a starter and reliever. He said. 85 innings, man. If you do 85 innings out of the pen, you do it once, you're never going to do it again. You are tired, and if you do it again, you're toast. Hmm. Um, and so I think that'll be an interesting situation with Javier. Odorisi, I think, will prep as a starting pitcher, more likely to be the fifth starter at the beginning of the season if someone is hurt still. Um, he'll just stick around as sort of a stretch arm. And um, I, I think even if they use him in the bullpen, they use him for two or three innings and kind of use him as a starter, uh, as a six starter. So that's fine. But you really want to have seven or eight. And I don't know that this team has those. And yet, if you go out on the market and you try to attract these veteran guys on one-year deals that everyone loves, they're not going to sign with you if you have that five already. You know, like imagine being Corey Kluber. Now, first of all, you've already... You know, like you, you've you've done this everywhere, and you don't. I don't know. Like do, do, he could have gone to, to he could have gone to Houston, right? But he chose the Rays, I think, because he was like, "Hey, these guys all. This is a secret that's kind of a little bit crappy. They all see the same deals. They see the same offers. It's yeah. very very close. Sometimes a team comes in ten millions over, and then you then the choice is made for you. But so many times, I bet you Corey Kluber saw three deals that were almost exactly the same, and he chose the Rays because he was like, "Hey, man, they're, they're going to put me in this rotation. If, you know what happens if I go to Houston and I have a couple bad starts, and Justin Verlander comes back?" That's fair. Yeah, I wonder if that would be a reason why Zach Greinke wouldn't return to Houston. He's out there as a free agent. Plenty of teams need innings. At a bare minimum, you're going to get innings. The question is, how good are the innings that you're likely to get from Greinke in 2022 based on what we've seen over the past year? And if you're Houston, like who are you bumping out of the rotation for Greinke? As much as I love him, uh, I really love Urquidy. Uh, I guess he's probably at the bottom, or Fromber. And I don't know that I would I would push them from the rotation for Greinke. For me, that'd be a sign that they're very worried about the health and the colors. If they were to bring back a high-volume starter, that would be a tell that they don't necessarily expect McCullers to be healthy either at the beginning of the season or they have legitimate concerns about him staying healthy all the way through. Uh, In addition to possibly having Justin Verlander in tow, uh, Hector Neris yeah, is there weird, as a, a bullpen in limbo on the on the Verlander thing, huh? It's just I guess, I would guess that has something to do with the uh, the they didn't get the. Uh, the physical done in time, or they were having an argument about the physical when uh, the clock struck, literally clock struck midnight. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. But Hector Neris is a nice add to the bullpen. I mean, they obviously lost a couple guys coming off the playoff run, but Neris outside of Philadelphia, I, I'm expecting immediate home run rate improvement. I mean, that's a, a big upgrade for him based on his skill flaws 
leaving Philly and going into Minute Maid Park. It's a really good bullpen. Presley pops as one of the best relievers by stuff every year. He's been he's been doing it year in and year out. You know, he's kind of that's one of those rare things you see from a reliever is to keep doing it and keep doing it. Stanek is stanky. I mean, he throws like a hundred uh, with a crazy ass uh, a split finger. Uh, Neris has got that split finger. Matan is like at the invisible ball. Um, and then you got Rafael Montero, uh, Christian Javier, uh, you know, as possible guys that can pop if they're healthy and somebody falls back, you know, uh, those are credible relievers. And Javier actually has it in him to be, I think, a closer if they if they end up uh, going that way with him. The other guy that's kind of a forgotten arm, but I think he fits more in the bullpen than in the rotation long term is Josh James. He was healthy again at the mm. end of the season. You want to see a guy that makes hitters look really uncomfortable in the box. Josh James is that guy. I mean, it's filthy stuff with some shaky command. So part of that is the shaky command. But uh, when he is he locating anywhere near the zone, yeah, he is late inning impact, high quality guy that you could put out there that could get you some key outs in some really really difficult spots and generally you know just generally with the astros the thing that they're so good at is player development and what you see is then you can see it even now they're, they're so good at player development that the floor is high like it, the worst case scenario Chaz mccormick jeremy pena and uh and internal candidates for the bullpen and starting rotation for going forward you know they they've got those guys. They've got Josh James. They've got uh, Chaz McCormick. Jake Myers was looking pretty good before he hurt his shoulder. So like they they are pretty good at turning out. Uh, I would I wouldn't say like say average major leaguers, but like at least one more guys. You know at least like a representative guy that's not terrible. So that brings the floor up and that puts pressure on them. I think personally to sign the biggest bats and they haven't really done that. So, you know, that's why I think Story might actually be an interesting fit because you might be buying at the top of the market, but not at the top of the market in terms of years and dollars. Yeah, you're still getting a guy that could be pretty easily a three to four war player with room for more. Right. And even if it's not, you know, on a long term deal, the Astros are playing year to year as contenders. They're not worried about two or three seasons from now as much as they're worried about being as good as they can be. Yeah, for 2022, and, and, and for I would good reason. Much rather give uh, the Baez deal to Story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yes, I I couldn't. The the length of the Baez deal was surprising. That was probably the scenario you were describing, where a lot of players get almost identical offers from multiple teams. I'm going to venture a guess that, that there were no difference. identical offers to the one that Javier Baez <laughs> signed with the Tigers, because that was the, the, one of the few deals this offseason I looked at and went. Whoa. Because like, if the I mean, Mets had offered him that same deal, he would be a Met. One would think, yeah. Would. <laughs> he loves Francisco and Lindor. He loves the bright lights. He's going to Detroit. So, yeah, and I would actually, I don't know. I, I thought that both of them, uh, Story and Baez, would get five-year deals in the $100 million range. Um, so maybe now it takes 140 to get Story. But if the Astros get Story for five and 100, then I would, uh, I would pat them on the back and say, well done, Houston. Yep, you handled the market very well if that's how everything plays out. Let's go to Seattle, where Robbie Ray was the big addition, 5 for 115. There's an opt-out in that contract after 2024. Uh, they traded for Adam Frazier, so more depth on the infield. Probably their starting second baseman, but a guy that can move around a bit and fill some other needs depending on who's healthy. Nice to have some versatility like that. Uh, key losses. I mean, Kyle Seager's gone. So you, you could look at third base and say that's the most obvious need. I think Abraham Toro's 
written atop the depth chart right now, but he can play other spots too. So there's no there's no reason to believe you could th- this team wouldn't be interested in a like a Chris Bryant. Like Did you almost say Kyle really Seager. Well. <laughs> no, no, you, you got Kyle Seeger wedged into my head though from from rates and barrels That's already. Right. As well, a Kyle, Kyle Seeger replacement, Seager, so though, they probably don't want Kyle Seeger back. They could have had him. That bridge um, was burned. Um, no, but many I, many times. I think yeah, that bridge was uh, torched. Uh, I would say that I would like Adam Fraser to be my utility guy. I would like him to to move around a little bit and maybe share time with Toro at second. And I would like a better bat, just a, a better bat overall. One thing I'd like to point out, though, is that Kyle Lewis did not play much last year, and he has the potential to be a really good bat. And then Jared Kelnick, he had a little bit up and down. He is on a list, and we will do this on Rates and Barrels later, um, but I made a list of just the steamers, the projections at Fangraphs, right? And um, steamers, you know, has done projections for next year. So I just looked at... Uh, the biggest differences between next year's projections and what they did last year. And Jared Kelnick has the sixth biggest def- difference. Wow. So he is projected uh, to have uh, to be above average with the bat next year, have a 103 WRC plus. Uh, and last year he had a 73. Uh, and that difference is actually tied for uh, third biggest uh, with three other guys. So, um, you know, the only people who are going to have a, a bigger difference between their what they did and what they what they did next year, what they're projected to do and what they didn't do are Cody Bellinger and Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, so uh, I just found that interesting because, um, you know, they're a young team still and you don't want to write off Kelnick uh, too early, as I may have. We have an open bet about what he's going to do going forward. And then they have Julio R- Rodriguez that provides that kind of uh possibility that that uh you know we're going well we we brought up Julio Rodriguez Jared Kelnick is now an above average bat you know Kyle Lewis is healthy that's how things uh get rolling and that's how they get over the hump and get finally get in the playoffs yeah I mean Julio Rodriguez probably playing the bulk of 2022 in the Seattle outfield so when you start looking position by position at where they're weak right now that's one of the spots where they get a big lift you assume he's going to be an everyday guy from the jump. Kelnick takes that step forward. You mentioned Kyle Lewis being healthy. Taylor Trammell, if he's their fourth outfielder, Taylor Trammell could be a really good fourth outfielder. So I like the way they're built. Maybe they bring in one more veteran or one more guy that can play all over and, I do have, and mix and match that way. That might be the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's why Chris Bryant would be kind of fun outfield, infield. Um, and then they would kind of have built something along the lines of the Giants and Dodgers teams where you have a lot of guys who can play all over. I have to point out one big weakness. And we we're talking around it as if it doesn't exist, but I think it does. Center field defense. Hmm. I'm not like Kyle Lewis is on two, like on two bad knees or one bad knee. I mean, he's, you know, he doesn't have great knees, so it wouldn't be great to like, I think make him the full-time center fielder. Jerry DePoto has come out and said he doesn't think Jared Kelnick is a full-time center fielder. He, he can play him there, but he doesn't think he's the full-time center fielder. Jerry DePoto has also come out and said that uh, he thinks Julio Rodriguez can be a center fielder. And I've talked to players that have played alongside him and uh, talent evaluators who uh, j- disagree. Uh, not, not to say anything bad about Julio Rodriguez. He's a very exciting bat, but they just don't think he's a center fielder. Uh, Mitch Haneker is not a center fielder. Uh, Ty France is in the mix for the DH. He's not. He's not a center fielder. So, uh, who's the center fielder? 
Fair question. And there's a lot of teams that need one and not a lot of center fielders available, which makes mm-hmm. me think that the trade market is going to be the answer. Plus, we're talking about Jerry Depoto. The trade market <laughs> is always an option, even if it's not the easiest option. And maybe And maybe there'll be a mix and match. I mean, we've seen Mike Trout play center for the Angels uh, probably past a year or two past, you you know, when you'd expect him to, to move off the off of center. Um, and we've seen other teams, like you said, we've seen, I think the, uh, the Giants last year won 107 games and you know, they played some Steven Duggar late in the season, but they were playing Chris Bryant in center. They were playing Mike Ostrensky in center. I don't think those guys are, are center fielders necessarily by, by, by lock and, you know, lock and trade. Tough place to play center field too, to, to really kind of triple alley punt defensively, I guess would be the, uh, it feels mean, but it, it's more or less what they did. I mean, the outlook for the Mariners is very bright. You have elite young talent, You've added to the top of the rotation. You have young pitching coming through. George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, and Matt Brash are going to contribute in some capacity in 2022. You add Ray to a rotation that gives you innings with Gonzalez and Flexen, gives you some ceiling with Logan Gilbert. I think he had a stretch in August that really turned those final numbers into kind of good, like good rookie numbers, but not great. Like, hey, this guy's a frontline starter on the surface type numbers. He could still be, I think, maybe the number one in this rotation in the not so distant future. I think Justin Dunn around an injury quietly got better. They've got another prospect, Noel V. Marte, up the middle, who's going to come up at some point, probably in 2023, maybe 2022. But they are a really well constructed roster right now. And I think this bullpen could also be a strength, right? So, what they might lack in starting pitching depth in the short term they might be able to make up for by leaning really heavily on this stable of relievers. You know, Paul Seawall, Diego Castillo, Andres Munoz, who they signed to an extension. Maybe Brash ends up in the, the bullpen. Ken Giles coming off an injury. Drew Steckenrider. That is a really nice group of arms that I think the projections are a little bit light on. Yeah, we talked about uh, that stuff metric. And, and it actually, for, for relievers, it beats uh, projections. So it's actually a, a better metric to look at. Uh, for relievers, because I think they're more wed to their stuff. You know, they they kind of go up and down. You're, you're looking at smaller samples when you're looking at relievers. And I just wanted to read out. This is kind of a fun thing here. Uh, this is the, the relievers sorted by stuff plus. So this is all relievers. Uh, I might play a little a little bit of a game with the, the minimums here. You'll see because Andres Munoz had 17 pitches. But I'm just going to list to you uh, the the top 10 relievers uh, uh, by stuff plus last year, Andres Munoz number one uh, in stuff plus. Uh, number two, Blake Trinan. Uh, number three, Jake Cousins. Uh, number four, Adam Simber. A little bit of funk. That's a little bit interesting. Uh, number five, TJ. Uh, no, his name is actually TJ. You know, TJ Antone. <laughs> um, uh, number six, Liam Hendricks. Uh, here's where it gets a little fun. Ryan Presley. Number seven, Johan Ramirez. Number eight. Paul Seawald, number nine. Tyler Rogers, number 10. Uh, so that is 10 relievers, three of which are on the Mariners. Uh, and Johan Ramirez is not someone that you even look when you look at the depth chart. He's not listed as, uh, you know, one of the top guys. He's projected to be a league average guy without or even a replacement guy. He's not on anybody's hot like list of, uh, of possible f- future closers or whatever. But he could pop. He could be the guy that comes up uh, if Drew Steckenrider falls back, you know. And uh, and then you've got you got Munoz. If Giles gets healthy, this could be, I'd like this could be the best bullpen in the big leagues next year. It, like it could be. It's not that like it, it just takes one or two things to go right for them. 
Yes, you've got probably a good rotation, or at least an average rotation overall in terms of all the things you need there. Maybe the best bullpen in the league, probably more like a top five as a safe sort of expectation, and a young offense with a few potential superstars in it. Yes, that is a very bright future. You should be excited. One signing could be could be good. Um, you know, one one uh, I would say one bat signing could be good. Almost anywhere, but um, I think third base would be would be good for them. Um, and then and then you're just sort of waiting on uh, Kirby Brash and, and Hancock and and seeing if they can replace uh, maybe Dunn and Flexen uh, at the back end of rotation and do better than them. Uh, which is a good is a fun way a fun place to be. I mean, I think this is this is why you do the uh, the the sort of tank style rebuilds. You know, you you want all these guys to be percolating to the top. I, and to be fair to Depoto, I don't think he did a full tank. He was always he's always acquiring people. I mean, he acquired Marco Gonzalez for you know maybe he messed up when he traded Tyler O'Neill for Marco Gonzalez, but he wanted to have a good starter you know, in his, in his rotation. And Marco Gonzalez might actually be on the next good Mariners team. Yeah. I mean, 2021 wasn't a bad Mariners team. 2022 should be a better one. So I think you're probably right about that. All this, you know, so they could have traded Mitch Hanniger a bunch of times. And even when last year, when the whole thing blew up and yes, the timing was great. It wasn't great. The optics weren't great. Maybe the, the communication with the players wasn't great. Uh, when they traded away, uh, Kendall Graveman, who was kind of a, a team favorite, even when they did that, because they didn't have great odds of making the postseason, they didn't make the postseason in the end. Even when they did that, they went and got Diego Castillo and some other other guys like Tyler Anderson to help make the postseason last year. So I know Depoto is always coming and going at the same time, and it kind of is uh, a little annoying. Trader Depoto or whatever, uh, but uh, Trader Jerry, sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, I think this, this is a very exciting team. They're, they're in a good spot. I think it's good for the game that he's as active as he is. I mm-hmm. think it's a big part of why uh, the rebuild wasn't a, a five plus year thing in Seattle. It was a little quicker because he had other ways to keep making the team just a little bit better on the margins at every, every possible opportunity. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. 
nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Let's go to the Angels, where Noah Syndergaard joins Rysel Iglesias as a player that they re-signed. Aaron Loop, who you mentioned before, along with Iglesias, those two were the two best relievers in terms of Stuff Plus that were available this offseason, so both ending up in the same bullpen. Uh, Michael Lorenzen also to the Angels. They're going to try him as a starter. So you've added two starters. You brought back your closer on a long-term deal, and you added one more really nice reliever to the mix in loop. I think with the Angels, a lot of this is health because you think about the time that Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout missed. If they just go back to being themselves and they play 130-plus games, you're talking about adding 10 war. I mean, that's a (laughs) big jump from the output they had a year ago. You got young players like Joe Adele who came up and lowered his strikeout rate. Brandon Marsh was coming off a shoulder injury last season. Came up, debuted. He's a great defensive center Took fielder. Took some bumps, Still, but like, yeah. I think he showed by the end of the season he can be at least a, an average major leaguer. Yeah, so you, you've got, I think they've got four quality big league outfielders. I mean, even the current version of Justin Upton is good enough to play. They brought up Reed Detmers. He struggled, but he should be a lot better in 2022. A lot of this is just regression back to the mean for guys who are hurt. Some of it is the little additions they've made. And Noah Syndergaard, I know when Keith wrote up the the piece for The Athletic, he didn't like it in part because of the qualifying offer attached to Syndergaard and giving up a draft pick to do it, only getting him for one year. Mm. There's clear risk with Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John. But when Syndergaard's healthy, you know, he's generally a top. If he's not a top of the rotation guy, he's one of the best number twos in the entire league. So you pair him with Shohei Otani, guys like Patrick Sandoval, they still have to get more innings into this this rotation, but I actually kind of like what they're doing so far. They get they get a, a thumbs up to this point, and I think a lot of this is going to ride on what they do to add more starting pitching depth and what they do at shortstop because they're among the teams that have just an absolutely brutal projection at that position right now. Yeah, but... It it's always one of these teams that's more expensive than you think. You know, just um, I would just point out that uh, compared to payroll last year, if that's as much as they're going to spend, and that was the first year of a GM, a lot of times it's as much as you're going to be given to spend, right? So, you know, if they get as much as they got last year to spend, they have ten more million dollars to spend. That's it. And right now, Tyler Wade is their starting shortstop. Uh, Reed Detmers is their sixth starter, and they're going to go with a six, uh, six-man rotation probably because of Shohei Otani. Um, I might be okay with Detmers, Berea, Canning, and, and good old Packy Naughton. Packy Naughton. Uh, but 
Uh, I don't think I'm super excited about going into battle with Tyler Wade as my starting shortstop. I think he is a decent, um, you know, he's a decent uh, player on the all around uh, utility guy. Uh, but so that means they got $10 million and they got a pretty big hole to fill. I'm going to be honest. Packy Naughton sounds like a guy that would have pitched in the big leagues in 1921 instead of 2021. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Packy Naughton throws his good old ghost finger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's exactly exactly where my brain places him in the timeline of, of baseball history. And Boatslanos puts it over the right field wall. <laughs> well, here's the other way to think about the problem for the Angels, right? They they don't have a great farm system, so they don't have a lot that they could trade. If they're going to trade something. It could be they've a player kept, like Brandon Marsh. Trading and trading and trading. <laughs> yeah. It'd be, you know, Marsh or maybe Joe Adele. I I guess Adele's a possibility. They could trade for a middle infielder, and most likely it would be a shortstop. But then who is that player? Like what what teams do you see with controllable shortstops that they don't need? Like that is a very specific request, and there are not many teams you can look at and say they could actually trade a shortstop. I mean, like, okay, even even Gavin Lux. Nope. They brought back Chris Taylor, right? Are, are they really going to trade Gavin Lux? Trey Turner's a free agent after 2022. So I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to play him in the outfield. You could. And then there's some uh, bad choices, like some just not great shortstops. Like you could probably get Kevin Newman from the Pirates. Does that make you better? Maybe a little bit. I don't know, defensively, maybe? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't. And then there's uh, there's always offensive old shortstops available on the market, right? Um, I'm not looking at a list right now, but like Freddie Galvis is always like available. He is playing, I believe, in Japan in 2022. Oh, sorry. So he is, he is, <laughs> you don't have him to kick around anymore, you know? <laughs> uh, let me tell find a different Jonathan VR, not a good defender. You could oh, yeah. throw him out there if you want. If, if you don't. If you're not worried about the defense, you just want some production. Well, well, you might be able to do sort of an offensive defensive thing with Wade. Um, there's nobody else. Let me see here. It's thin. You uh, could bring back Anderson Simmons. I mean, Iglesias is out there to bring him back. Simmons. I mean, they let they let Iglesias go before the season was over, though. So that, in the middle it, of last year. That bridge is in the same shape as the Kyle Seeger Seattle bridge right but, now. That's, but like, that's okay, so Ramon Urias from the from Baltimore. Like, there's just not a lot of like, if your team, if you're if you're a young team with a young shortstop, like the Pirates aren't going to give up um, O'Neill Cruz or you know any like that's not going to happen. So, yeah, I don't I don't see an obvious solution other than uh, winning the Trevor Story sweepstakes. Or call this Correa, but like that would you know that would put them in the luxury tax right away. Here's a guy. Here's a here's a random guy that I think you could get for nothing. Paul DeYoung is their bounce back uh, potential. I've seen people put him on the on the Athletics too, which are on our list. The Athletics have the same problem where they have a really old bad shortstop. How old is Paul DeYoung? Snap a uh, snap answer on this one. Twenty nine. He's twenty eight. I. In my head, he was th- th- 32. Like, well, I thought he, he was plays, a lot older than he, he actually is. He kind of has is. that old man game. <laughs> lots of strikeouts, lots of walks. You know, When he's good, some homers with it. <laughs> defensive metrics are not bad. He's been a below-average offensive player since the start of the 2020 season. Prior to that, he was league average in back-to-back years in 18 and 19. 
He's got raw power. So he's got raw power. He's not a bad oh, defender. I think he would absolutely be an upgrade. I think the question is just uh, what the Cardinals are then going to do. Edmundo Sosa. That's who they were playing. Yeah, they'll just play, they'll just play Sosa instead. Then the, then the other question is, you know, what you have to give up. But you probably don't have to give up that much for De Young. You know, it might be cost savings for them. Uh, maybe you can give them uh, uh, some sort of uh, relief arm. But don't give up Chris Rodriguez. It has to be lower lower on the list, I think. Even though Rodriguez is hurt, so who knows what he brings back for you. Their list is really bad, by the way. Oh, it's horrible. Like I, Maybe the Cardinals would just take low-level guys and see what happens. What about Didi Gregorius? Is it over for him as a shortstop? Maybe the Phillies want to move on? Yeah, but again, then they got to play Segura or something? No, they'll, they'll play Stott. Bryson Ooh. Stott. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. These are, these are, these are backup plans. I would expect one of those things to happen if they don't, if they don't sign story. If they do sign story, then they're, uh, you know, out in the market for the cheapest, uh, you know, they signed Chris Archer or something. $3 million deer. My role on this podcast is to be a dreamer. <laughs> you were, you were, yeah, you were saying like story and Kershaw or something. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, but. I just mean in in general, right? The other hosts on this podcast, with the exception of Grant, I think are they're grounded in reality. I am living in the clouds <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to pull things out of thin air and say this yeah. could happen. This well, makes like sense. Young, this is plausible. Is good. That's a, we can also we All can right. put that also on the uh, on the rundown for the athletics as a possible idea. Yes, good segue. Uh, the athletics, according to my records, have added. Brent Honeywell, this off season so far. That is, um, that's the list. And uh, you told me about this a couple of weeks ago when the transaction happened. We were meeting up, and you said, "Hey, the the A's they traded for Brent Honeywell from the Rays." And I, I think I just jokingly said, "I like that trade for the Rays," which wasn't meant to be uh, as mean sounding as it is about Brent Honeywell. It was just a joke, you know. The, I like that trade for the Rays. It's just a the throwaway line that we see mm-hmm. on Twitter all the time. It's a, it's an old Sam Miller tweet. Uh, he said, "I like that." Ah, oh, Sam Miller yeah, he started. Said, I like that trade for the Rays. Who'd they get? Who'd they give up? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that's very that's very yeah. on brand for uh, for Sam. Here's the thing with the A's, they are a disaster right now from a long term perspective. Short term, if you look at their projections, they're kind of where they always are, where they could make a few little moves, play the middle hang around, be a big pain in the butt for the rest of this division, and yeah. come late July, they could be a team that's adding and, and making Projected a run again. like around 500 and, you know, yeah. with some holes yeah. that they could plug with, you know, go out and get, you know, they always go out and get like a $5 million, $10 million reliever and and uh, maybe trade for like another Cole Irvin type, you know, for the back end of the rotation or, or find some bat, some corner. They could use a corner outfield bat, you know, find some bat like Piscotti or, you know, if they found Loreano pretty well, you know, if they could just find one more bat. But yeah, the money is about to get uh, too expensive for them. So that's why everyone looks at this team and says they're going to tear a lot of it down, maybe all of it. But, you know, Matt Olson, who I believe is second only to Vlad Jr. in terms of war projections among first basemen. Oakland's first base situation is great. Matt Olson got the K rate down in 2021. Plenty of teams would be interested in him. There's plenty of teams that are doing the platoon thing at first base. Matt Olson would be a big upgrade 
for those teams. No question about that. Very tradable. Maybe the most likely of the position players to get dealt. Matt Chapman, on the other corner, it'd be it'd be dealing him away at a lower point in his value for sure because his 2021, the batted ball numbers were were not as bad as the results, but he was not the same player he was pre-injury. And he's such a great defender. That alone carries his value. I mean, if you're in Oakland shoes, he's the guy you keep for now, and maybe you trade him mid-season. You start to tear down now. Olsen goes first. Flip him somewhere. Chris Bassett, you've mentioned this to me before. What do they get for Chris Bassett in a trade? He's a $9 million guy on a one-year deal, 33 years old, and you know I don't think, frankly, that the advanced metrics are super friendly to him. Right. So that's not going to get you an impact prospect back. Thinking like to the future, if we still have qualifying offers, do you think Chris Bassett's the kind of guy the A's are giving a qualifying offer to? No. They didn't give Marcus Simeon a qualifying offer, right? I think Bassett's someone you trade in August. Because the thing that they always do in Oakland is they buy and sell at the same time. And so they will sell the guy that gets them the most back, and they won't sell the guy that gets them the least back. And then they'll sell that guy at the trade deadline if, if they can't if they aren't any good. So the the in the role of Josh Donaldson, I see Matt Olson. There is another year of arbitration. He's twelve million dollars. You know, I see that as their uh, their trade chip that might give them the most back. Otherwise. The other guy that would give him the most back is Frankie Montas, who's only $5,000 this year and has an extra year of arbitration and metrics like him a little better. So either Olsen or Montas goes, or maybe both those guys go for prospects, but they're also going to go for, uh, you know, players back. So, uh, you know, they could they could deal with St. Louis where they trade uh, Montas or they tra- Olsen's probably not a great fit there, but Montas might be a good fit for St. Louis, right? They trade Montas. They get some, they get a, a major league starter back. I don't know if they like Johan Oviedo, but somebody like that, 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 that just seems plug and play, right? Seems close to the big leagues. They get Paul DeYoung back. So something like Montas and Andrews for Paul DeYoung and uh, uh, Oviedo and a prospect. Newt Bar. Yeah. Newt Bar seems like an Oakland And Newt guy. Bar really, uh, you know, he did some training uh, and added a bunch of, uh, he did some weighted bat training. I talked to him about it at the AFL and, and added a lot of exit velocity and is a lot more exciting of a player. But he's also a little bit old for his bracket and and isn't considered a real prospect. That's perfect, actually, for the A's. This is the trade. This is the trade. It's it's Newtmar, Newt, and 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 maybe they even cut Andrews in St. Louis after the trade. But like it's it, that's the deal. Newtbar, DeYoung, and Oviedo, or put put in some other arm for either uh, Montas or Manaya. I'm on board. I don't like when teams choose to operate with low payrolls the way the A's choose to operate. Within the self-imposed constraints, however, I like how they go about their business. But at least they try. I mean, I I don't think that, yeah, they're not like the full tankers. Right. They don't do the deep tank we'll see in eight years. They, yeah. they don't do that. And I, I, I dig that because it means they're trying to find, they're trying to find the, the uh, hey, we don't want Paul DeYoung anymore. Okay, well, there's still something there. So we're going to mm-hmm. take him. And, and Lars Newtbar is kind of an extra guy for us. So we can move him. I mean, maybe a guy like Juan Yepes can be part of a trade like that too, right? And their next year projections might actually get better if they did that trade. If they if they got the right pitcher back, 
You know, because they have the worst shortstop position in baseball situation in baseball, maybe second worst. It's bleak. Uh, the the Rockies oh. <laughs> currently without. Right. Okay. So the Rockies, Angels, and A's are all kind of looking at Paul DeYoung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that that's how I see it, and I see that I see them keeping Bassett because he improves their chances of winning this year, and he won't give them as much back. Um. Manaya is interesting. He could just be a salary dump where they just trade him for a prospect. It doesn't really fit what they've done in the past necessarily, but he's owed $10 million. So do you think they keep one of Montes or Manaya at least until the trade deadline? Bassett, you think, is an in-season trade, but they keep... That's why I think he's the trade deadline guy. Actually, Manaya could be interesting. Maybe they just keep him and they, they risk the qualifying offer. I could see that a little bit more than risking it on Montas. Even though Montas has better stuff, he's been more volatile year to year. I think Montas just brings you back quite a bit more in a trade though. So that's that's the I think I think Montas and Olsen are the guys who I'm looking at to be traded. Yeah. Yeah, this is a depth chart that's just full of opportunities and it's gonna get ripped apart and glued back together. And all these other teams that are spending money in this division on really interesting somehow players they're gonna win 88 games and piscotti's gonna hit 25 homers and newt bar is gonna go 2020 and loriana is gonna come back and we're gonna be like how did they do this again <laughs> it's, it's a great magic trick that they continue uh, to pull off yeah. in oakland but I, the thing that was blowing me away as i was prepping for the show is just how bad the farm system is like the the future is not bright in terms of what they currently have in the system it's Tyler Soderstrom, and then who? Like who do you? Who else do you like in that system? Yeah, and I know it, it's partially. Yeah, I guess it's Max Muncy. <laughs> That's your point, oh Max Muncy. No, I, I'm a I'm a kind of a fan of Nick Allen. Uh, I think he's uh, he could he could just be their shortstop next year if they don't do the Paul DeYoung thing. Uh, he at least can field uh, really well, and and. I don't know if he's got much power, but there's something I like about Nick Allen. Uh, but no, yeah. Otherwise, it's it's pretty pretty barren. And I know it's partially due to the fact that they went for it a little bit in the last couple of years, um, and they did some trades to 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 bring talent in. Uh, but there's a funny thing that happened. I looked at uh, tenure uh, by uh, coaching position, uh, organizational tenure by coaching position. And the A's have the highest, uh, the longest tenure for their coaches. Um, so, you know, in terms of, and this is true in the front office, the, the GM has been there forever. The, the, the farm director has been there forever. The, you know, scouting director has been there forever. Um, I, I can't help but wonder if uh, they should have made more changes. I, I'm not calling for anyone's job specifically, but... Uh, there, I don't think that their, uh, their player development on the way up, um, and, uh, necessarily their scouting is, uh, amazing. I mean, they seem like the Rays West, right? But the Rays have better players coming up and the A's signed Robert Puasson and the Rays signed Wander Franco. Right. You only know one of those names. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I know, I'm I'm familiar with both of them, but <laughs> yeah, most most people don't know who Robert Poisson is. So, ah, uh, I, I think the so much of this comes back to, like, I think the Rays invest in coaching and invest in the front office, and then people, other organizations, of course, 
hire people from their organization. It doesn't seem like that happens nearly as much in Oakland. It does happen, right? They don't. They don't invest. I mean, that's what I can tell you that they they don't pay well. <laughs> but that's. I mean, that's the you kind of get what you pay for, right? I mean, that's. Yeah. So the the tricky thing here is like, if you can't draft and develop players, can you continue to find a way to scrape by with with trades after every few runs toward the postseason like this? Or eventually, does the the well run dry? And I think the changing landscape of baseball, it's harder to trade for prospects now than it probably has ever been. That, I think, makes it more difficult to be as frugal as the A's choose to be. Yeah, the one kind of fun thing that they do, though, is trade for guys that project well that scouts don't like. <laughs> trade for guys that are too old or this or that and like uh, end up being good anyway. Um, but it is a little bit like Jerry DePoto with no player development. It's tough. It's very tough to win that way. Just a bunch of trading. <laughs> very tough to win that way, especially as the complexion of the division changes yet again in the AL West. Really exciting division. Uh, I'm with you. I think the A's would still find a way to hang around, at least be like a mid-pack team for a while, even though on paper they're probably going to look like the worst team in this division once we get through the end of all the off-season shuffles. Before we go, I should let you know you should listen to the Rates and Barrels podcast if you enjoyed this episode. We do two episodes of that show a week. This time of year, we'll do one a week uh, around the final weeks of December and New Year's, but be sure to check that out if you haven't done it already. You can get 33% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Eno on Twitter at Enoceris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That is going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. The show returns on Monday.